Hey everyone! Thanks for tuning in with us at Hearing Her Voice. My name is Escarlet and I am the founder of Women's March San Diego at UCSD. Today I wanted to talk about empowering women like me who struggle to break free from socioeconomic barriers and how to help them get unstuck. We had the opportunity to talk with Assemblywoman Lorena Gonzalez, who is the chair of the California Latino Legislative Caucus. Her work expands from advocating for women's rights, equal pay, protection in the workforce, to starting a new initiative called Unseen Latinas. The new innovation aims to address the continuing growth of inequality that California Latinas experience in economic outcomes, career and leadership opportunities, and education in the state. We hope you enjoy our discussion with Assemblywoman Lorena Gonzalez. Hi, Assemblywoman Gonzalez. Um, my name is Scarlett. I am the uh, founder for Women's March San Diego at UC San Diego. Um, Jin Ho uh, is going to be uh, helping me with um, the recording and keeping um, the time. Hello. Hey, great. Um, and uh, well, um, we are starting a podcast. Um, uh, so welcome to Hearing Her Voice. Um, our podcast aims to bring to light issues that women face. Um, and this is in order to make or start a re revolutionary change. Um, I actually met you through um, League of Women Voters, and I wanted to bring you in and talk about women in leadership. Um, so first of all, thank you for joining. Um, so I want to begin um, with uh, women in politics. I know that this past election, we saw a lot of women um, in federal positions, especially Latinas. Um, what advice would you give them? For women who actually are already in office? Yes. Well, I think that it's really important in particular for Latinas, um, women in general, uh, women of color, especially in particular Latinas, is to, you know, figure out first who you are and why you're doing that, right? Um, I often tell, especially young Latinas, that the system that I've chosen for myself, the the, uh, the world I've chosen to try to make change in wasn't created for me, right? I, I'm in the legislature and the legislature's rules and cultural norms were created by a bunch of old white guys like a hundred years ago. And so when I first got elected, one of the things I thought was really important is figuring out, you know, what, what are the cultural norms that I'm going to challenge in office, right? There are a lot of things people will tell you. Um, this is the way things are done. You're not allowed to get too emotional. You're not allowed to cry on the floor. You're not, you know, you're not allowed to fall in love with your bills. You're supposed to take this in a certain way. Um, and I'd ask, like, is that a rule? Is it written down somewhere? Because if not, you know, I want to know and think about why these uh, norms have been put in place and if they are, they could prevent me from advocating for my community in the best way possible. And I found that they mainly do create a barrier um, to true advocacy uh, in, in office. And so I think it's really important as women enter office in particular it is to ask those questions. You know, what are the actual rules? I mean, I'm not suggesting we go up and true rules or laws. Sometimes we need to, but when you're going into an institution, whether it's a water board or a city council or Congress, you have to ask yourself um, when people say you're not supposed to do this. Well, why, why was that rule written or why was that not written, but why was it accepted? You know, why was that norm accepted? Who who did they they plan to keep in their place? And so often um, it's us. 
And so I think that's a really important kind of lesson. And it probably expands beyond um, politics, right? Or, or government office. It, it's as you enter the workforce and as you seek your place in the world, you have to challenge um, those cultural norms in order to fit in in the way that is, uh, is most advantageous to those that you're working for. I agree. Um, bringing up the whole barriers, I know um, you're part of the initiative with um, Unseen Latinas, and I know that um, there has been a lot of barriers for um, opportunity and leadership. What can you tell us more about the initiative? Well, over the last few years, uh, one of the things that we've realized uh, in, in office is that all these challenges we talk about that women have and all these challenges that we talk about that people of color have um, seem to compound specifically on Latinas. So if you take the wage gap, for example, in California, we've done a lot to improve the, the male female wage gap, the gender gap, if you will, pay gap um, in California. In fact, we have made the biggest drives and we have the lowest pay gap in the nation. Um, when you look at the numbers you know, in, in the aggregate, However, if you disaggregate them and look at just Latinas, you realize we actually have the worst numbers in the nation for Latinas. So um, while we've improved the lot of um, laws and, uh, and opportunity for women overall, um, Latinas continue to be left behind um, more than any other demographic. In fact, Latinas make on average in California 44 cents on the dollar of their white male counterpart. And a lot of people make assumptions that that's because of the jobs they choose or because of um, work and family obligations that they choose to do. Um, but even if you look at, at high, highly qualified, highly skilled, highly educated professions, and I'll give you one um, in, in uh, medicine. So Latina surgeons make less than 50 cents on the dollar of the white male counterpart. So there's something else going on here. And we knew that, right? We knew um, if you look at representation uh, of lawyers and on the bench, if you look at representation um, in elected office. If you look at the fact that Latinas are the only demographic who have never held a statewide office in California, all of this despite being 20% of our population. So we started asking ourselves, um, first of all, do people realize that there's these barriers for Latinas, that there have been obviously opportunity barriers because there's no reason we should be so far behind. Um, yes, we face a, a number of issues sometimes um, beyond uh, ethnicity and gender, but also immigration status sometimes. And um, th there are multiple barriers and yet uh, it, it's not being discussed. It's not, we're not being intentional about Latinas. So we've started this initiative through the California Legislative Latino Caucus to really focus on what we're calling the unseen Latina. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's spanning everywhere from, we're working on um, how to, Latina hospitality workers get back into their jobs during after this pandemic, all the way to how do we see more Latinas in Hollywood? So it really does span um, the whole the whole spectrum of job opportunities and um, advancement opportunities and just uh, basic opportunities for Latinas because we are at the bottom of every single kind of indicator, if you will. Um, so we're focusing on, on really showing people that, first of all, and then looking at ways that we can help change that. And we think you have to be very intentional, um, that you have to specifically uh, look at Latinas, not just women, not just people of color, and say, how do we um, create opportunity, advancement opportunity? Um, I, I 
personally think that um, one step forward that I know that you were um, fighting for was um, repealing the Prop 209, which was the affirmative actions that actually helped a lot of women get to college. So I know um, that that um, is also a way that helped a lot of women. And is there any way that we can push forward with that as well to help that? What, what are your thoughts on that? How can we push back um, this? So I, I was very disappointed uh, that we weren't able to eliminate the ban on affirmative action, especially given this project we're working on, because in order to be intentional about providing opportunities for Latinas and women, um, women, both gender and ethnicity can't be used in, in state policies, you know, state hiring decisions. So it, it, it uh, creates a uh, disincentive, if you will, to, to try to, to narrowly tailor programs to, to help change this dynamic. Um, I was a product of affirmative action. I benefited from um, the fact that when I went off to school, I went to Stanford, um, there was a set aside of a number of, a number of, um, of applications that, that would be looked at separately because we were the first in our family to go to college and um, they wanted to ensure there was that type of diversity at Stanford. I don't think I could have gotten in without getting that second look. And so I think about the generations that have after me who haven't had that opportunity to um, really get that second look in, in our UCs and CSUs. So I was really hopeful that we could repeal the ban on, on affirmative action, but it obviously there was just too much work to be done to still educate people. On. And so I think we're just gonna have to for a while until we can uh, make another run at it is um, try to figure out how we can uh, still work and target our approaches towards ensuring that Latinas have better opportunities, but um, it, it's just gonna take a little bit more creativity. I, I do know that you you really push and you keep on pushing until it gets accepted. So I, I really do hope that it does um, so that we can create more opportunities for us Latinas. Um, uh, as a Latina, how, what were some barriers that you encountered through your journey, um, through your career? Challenges? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I mean, you know, I, I think, um, I think one of the things that always amazes me is the assumption that I think a lot of people make that Latinas are uneducated or not smart. Um, you know, I mean, sometimes it's just trolls on Twitter, <laughs> like, um, what, what must your IQ be? And I have to stop myself from, um, from saying, Hey, I went to these great schools. I graduated from Stanford. I graduated from Georgetown. I have a law degree from UCLA. I passed the bar the first time, you know, uh, you can question a lot about me, but I'm past the point where I'm insecure about my IQ, you know, or if I'm smart enough. Um, and, but it's just, and, and you know, you have to fight yourself. You're like, I don't need to justify myself to anybody, but it's that assumption I think that people make. And it comes in a different ways too, because people will say, oh, I didn't know you went to such incredible schools. And then you're like, well, there are a lot of really smart people who didn't go to those incredible schools too. So um, we shouldn't make these kinds of assumptions, but I think that's often an assumption um, that is made. And then people treat you accordingly, right? The, the seriousness with which people treat you is different. Um, 
So I think that that's part of it. I think that there is a lot of um, hostility uh, in particular towards Latinas. There's a lot of stereotypes that exist in people's minds. And so, you know, if uh, I tend to be very outspoken and uh, I think that that along with being a Latina really creates certain beliefs in people's minds about, you know, how loud we are, how, how inappropriate, or, you know, I, there's just weird, I think, um, stereotypes and it, it's fighting it. Sometimes people are very honest with what they think of, of us. And then sometimes it's hidden and, and it's clear in the way they interact with us. So having gone through, through all of that, what advice would you give um, to someone who is seeing a lot of pushback due to the stereotypes? Um, there's uh, sometimes a lot of people that say, oh, um, you, you don't belong here. You, you should just be in the workforce. What advice can you give someone that is getting all that um, pushback? Well, you know, that's tough. Um, I still, I still to this day uh, suffer from imposter syndrome sometimes, right? Like despite everything I've done and where I am, I'll walk into a room and start to doubt myself. Uh, you know, do I belong here? Is this, am I on par? Which is ridiculous. And I can rationally, you know, uh, have that conversation in my head, but it's something that has been ingrained in us for so long that we don't belong. We don't belong at the table. We don't belong in the boardroom. We don't belong in politics, you know? And um, some of that comes from internally within our own culture and expectations and families sometimes, sometimes. Um, and a lot of that comes from um, just views about Latinas in general. But I, I think it's really important um, for us to find ways to, to have more of us visible, right? When people see part of the, the whole initiative on Unseen Latinas is because people don't interact with us, right? They often see Latinas as um, the nanny for their child, the person who cleans their house, um, the person who cleans up after them, you know, in public spaces, whether it's a hotel or a janitor, um, you know, so, so they don't think of it as my colleague, my, um, you know, the, in, in higher up positions. Um, and that's one of the reasons so important for us to ensure that there are more Latinas in positions of power, that there are more Latinas um, as lawyers and as teachers and as doctors and as judges, you know, and that Latinas are seen as um, normalizing those spaces. And while we do it, holding on to being Latinas. And that's part of the like asking about the, you know, where did these, these cultural norms come from because they don't seem to fit me. Um, so I, I think it's, it's important that we have more of us and that we're very true to who we are. It, it's okay um, to be who we are. We don't have to fully assimilate to be, you know, what is expected of white men um, in order to be successful in professional life. And I think um, that's one of my goals is, is really to help pull more Latinas into um, these various fields so that people will uh, start to see us differently as well. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. There's, there's, there's needs to be more of us and um, I'm, I'm glad that I have you to look up to and just say, you know what, we do belong and um, we just keep on pushing. Um, another question that I wanted to bring up was that um, I do know that there is a lot of um, scrutiny that goes on. Um, during your career, did you face a lot of scrutiny? 
<laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, of course. And I think also it's not just scrutiny. I think there is an expectation, um, you know, if people don't like, for example, the policies that I write, the laws that I pass, um, I believe strongly in them. I, I've thought through them. There's a reason I, I carry the type of legislation I do. It's usually pertaining to women and and um, and low wage workers. Uh, I, I this is what I do, right? I represent a community, and I think when people um, disagree, for some reason, um, they 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 like to make it very personal, right? You can disagree with a bill, but you know they they like to to augment it by disagreeing with you as a person. And I think some of that is because I, I'm unapologetic, and um and I know why I ran for office. I didn't run for office in order to just um, maintain the status quo. I didn't run for office to be a backbencher. You know, I ran for office and, and to be honest, I'm away from my kids. I'm away from my husband. I'm up in Sacramento more than I'd like to be. If I'm going to do that, if I'm going to make those sacrifices, it's going to be for a greater good. And that greater good is my community that for so often didn't have unapologetic representation um, in the halls of the legislature, right? I, I'm not going to say, I'm sorry that this um, affects you uh, a, a little bit negatively because it's affected our community negatively for a long time. Like we, we have been asked to, to set aside, to wait our turn, to um, work harder, to do better with less for too long. And so I'm not gonna be unapologetic when it comes to um, representing a community that is largely um, Latino, but is also uh, a number of, of, you know, immigrants and refugees from all kinds of countries and, um, you know, African American and Filipino. I mean, we have a, a broad diversity with one thing in common, so working class district um, that, you know, for too long has, has been expected to work hard and, and struggle. And I think if you if you work hard, um, we should work on making sure that you're you're well compensated. So, you know, I, under scrutiny because I, I refuse to apologize for who I am and what I represent. Thank you. Talking about the community, um, I know right now there's um, an issue of low vaccination rates, especially right now in Chula Vista. Mm -hmm. um, what what can we do about that? I know that um, a lot of times um, these people aren't able to get an appointment um, and it's just becoming something that it is affecting um, that community. It is. And, um, you know, I, I will give credit to the county and they saw that this was going to be a problem. So a number of our super stations and um, community vaccination points are in our communities, in our hardest hit communities. They, they were very intentional about that. Nonetheless, the, the, the reality is to make an appointment is difficult online. It's difficult. Um, I've, I've made it now for three of my, my three living parents. So um, my stepfather, my stepmother and my father. And, you know, if I couldn't, if I didn't do that for them, I'm not sure that they would have figured it out on their own, right? And so we have to, um, we've been doing, opening up our office to anyone that calls, helping them get a vaccination appointment. Uh, we've pressured and the county has responded by um, allowing people to call 211 to set up an appointment as well. And we're just going to have to continue to be diligent. I try to tell people like, look, what, you know, and I ask everybody, what have you done? Who, who have you helped get an appointment? Because that's what we need to do. We really do need to help 
all of us, our elders, and especially the most vulnerable folks get in um, because it's not going to get much easier and more vaccines are coming. That'll help actually, because that'll open up more spots. And I think that that's really important. Um, but we got to get through the people who want to be vaccinated. And then we've got to start working on the people who are a little afraid of it. So we have a lot of work to do and it's important. We do it as quickly as possible for our communities, um, that have been hardest hit by COVID and continue to be. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I, I help my mom as well be able to book hers because, um, you know, the, the website is hard to manage, but um, I think if we all help each other, we can get through it. Um, having that said, I, I do know that you're also working on um, helping the hospitality workers that lost um, their jobs. I actually have some family members that got laid off. And so it, and they worked in hotels. I, I Can you tell me more about what you're doing for them? Well, we have a bill um, that... Uh, we tried to, we were a joint author on last year and we're the lead author this year um, to ensure as hotels open up or hospitality services in general, large venues, airports, convention centers, as they open back up post pandemic, um, that they continue or that they go back to the workers they laid off um, in a seniority manner so that they can be rehired in that in that order. What's happened, unfortunately, is so many of our, our workers who um, have been there the longest, you know, they've served the longest. And so they had the highest pay rate when they were let go. Um, these venues are just saying, no, I'll hire somebody new, even cheaper. Um, and, and that's, you know, disproportionately affecting Latinas, actually older Latinas, um, Latinas over 45, who have been working sometimes decades in these hotels cleaning, um, picking up after people, you know, serving people, and then uh, are, are being skipped over to get their job back. So we want to make it, you know, in large venues, a condition um, for them to have to go through the seniority process and recalling um, workers. Um, that is uh, a bill currently, hopefully working its way through the process, AB 1074. But we're also pressing because it that would take till next year. And we know some of these venues will start to open up this summer. And so we're um, hopeful that we can get some language into the budget process. If we get it in the budget process, it becomes immediately effective. So um, that would that would be closer to you know June, July, and uh, we we are really pushing to try to see if we can get some language on rehire and recall rights for uh, hospitality workers. Um, Lauren, I, I actually have a question that I've been itching to ask. But um, what made you get into this career? Was there an event that made you say, you know what, this is not fair, and I'm going to stand up for my people? Well, it's funny because there were so many, like I, I entered public service. Well, even when I was young, I wanted to, to, to help my community. Right. I went off to college, but I didn't really know what it meant. I, I had all these great degrees, but I had no connections. I didn't really understand how it all worked. I didn't have anyone to look up to in that sense. Right. Or any contact. Um, but I knew I wanted to help people. And then in graduate school, no law school, um, graduate school, they passed, um, prop 187, which was of course the, the Pete Wilson initiative to, um, to really go after undocumented individuals, um, and the, ch their children basically. Um, and so I was, I was so angry at the way our community is treated, um, seen every day. You know, my father came here as a farm worker. Um, my mom was a nurse and, and everybody I knew parents served other people. 
right? And often the people making these decisions and say, we don't belong here. And it, it's, um, it was just, I, I wanted to do more, um, both for the community, um, when it came to immigration issues and, and, um, the way we're viewed and, um, when it came to workplace issues. So I always kind of had that in my mind. I went and worked for the Lieutenant Governor out of law school. Um, he was the first Latino elected, uh, statewide in California, Cruz Bustamante. And literally I just, I applied for a fellowship in his office. I, I was an attorney and it's for like just straight out of undergrad, you know, but I, I didn't know how else I could go work for him. So I started this fellowship and I'm making some horrible $18,000 or something like not enough to pay my student loans, you know? And, um, <laughs> but I just, I didn't know how else to get in. He hired me out of the program, thank God. And I made a little bit more money. Um, but then I came back and I worked for organized labor and I loved what I did. I mean, there, there is nothing to me better than working with workers to empower themselves, right? It's not just helping workers, it, it's giving workers the tools and, and, and helping them help have a voice on the job and help themselves and go on strike and, and demand things. And I think there's something so powerful there. But when I was at the Labor Council um, and, and heading, and that's the overall, all the unions in San Diego, one of the things that would most frustrate me is our members would always come out to walk for elected officials, for people running for office, right? We'd bring in the candidate running for office. They'd say how they stood with us. They stood with working families. They stood with unions that they were going to fight for, for a higher minimum wage or for health care. And then they'd get into office and these votes would come along. And sometimes people would say, well, you don't understand how hard it is. They're competing interests. And, you know, and all I could think is, yeah, there was a janitor who worked till two in the morning, went home, fed her kids and came up to walk precincts for you. But she doesn't understand how hard it is to make a tough decision like voting for her to get a raise, you know, like mm -hmm. give me a break. And so I said, I want, I want an elected official who wakes up every single day and thinks, how can I make California better for workers? That's all I want. And um, I said, well, I would do that. And so that's why I ran for office. I just, you know, I, I said, well, if this is what I expect out of an elected official, I'm going to serve as an example of what I expect. And every day I do that every day, I, I'm thinking of ways we can help working Californians and especially um, the working class. Thank you for, for sharing that. I, I actually, um, my, the, the whole reason I'm here too is is because my grandfather was with Cesar Chavez, um, also working in the farm. So um, I, if if it weren't for that, I wouldn't be here. And my mom um, raised me as uh, as a single mother and uh, as a Latina. I also um, going through school and education. Um, I also find myself that I, I have this education, but yet I don't know the network. I, I it's very hard to actually find um, my way. So thank you for sharing that. Um, it's, it's kind of nice to know that I, I'm not the only one that, you know, has, is facing that and seeing you, um, being able to, um, be where you're at is, is actually very nice, um, and inspiring for me to actually, you know, um, want to make things better in California because I, I see a lot of, um, people in my community that, their voices are not being heard. Um, a lot of injustices have happened. Um, a lot of my my friends who are Latinas are are stuck, and I want to be able to help them be unstuck. Um, so thank you for all for for taking that step that. forward to help them be unstuck. And remember this too. I just, if the, if there's one thing I could tell you and anyone else, your age and, you know, don't, don't hesitate to reach out. Sometimes I, you know, I feel like in a lot of ways, I didn't know anyone like what I wanted to do. There was no Latina to look up to. Um, 
but if there was, you know, I mean, I don't know if I would have reached out because I thought they'd be busy or they wouldn't want um, to help. But I love, I give my, my email out a lot because I love when, um, especially young Latinas reach out and want advice. And I try, I mean, it's a lot, but I try to sit down and, and, and give what I can and to help when I can, when um, young Latinas run for office for city council or school board, anywhere in the state, if they're, um, if they have good values, if they're, you know, care about the things I care about, I try to find ways to raise them little money because I know like in, endorse them and help how I can, because I know it's so hard. It's like, we don't have, um, first of all, people don't again, expect to expect us to run for office. They don't expect us to be in those positions. And then we don't have the network. It's not like people will say, Oh, you're going to run for office. You need to call 25 friends to give you a hundred dollars. When I ran for office, I didn't know 25 people who had a hundred dollars, you know, come on. It's like, <laughs> or, or that I'd feel comfortable saying, I know you have to pay the rent, but do you have a hundred dollars? <laughs> you know, and, but the kind of the expectations that are put out there, you're like, hold up. So I was like, you know what I can't do? I can find a hundred people to give me $25. And, um, and so it's, sometimes it's just thinking outside the box but it, it's helpful if we can, um, if we can help each other. And so I always try to say like, anyway, I can help, but, but all, all of us should feel comfortable with reaching out and maybe what's the worst that's going to happen. Somebody's not going to respond, you know, maybe they're too busy. Maybe they're not interested, but, but, um, you'll find somebody who, who is willing. And I'm always here if, if there's a way I can be helpful. Thank you so much. Assemblywoman Gonzalez. Um, I know, uh, you, you're, uh, you're busy and our time is up, but thank you so much for taking your time out of uh, your schedule to be able to talk um, on this podcast so that um, we can be able to hopefully get Latinas like myself unstuck. (laughs) (laughs) I doubt you're stuck, but this is a good start. It was great to come on. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you both. Take care. Take care. Stay safe. Bye. Thank you. If you ever feel stuck or feel like you can't move forward, know that you're not alone and that many of today's successful women have gone through the exact same feeling. No matter how hard it seems, keep pushing. Do not let yourself get discouraged. Keep looking for opportunities out there. Always, always remember, si se puede. Yes, we can. Thanks again for tuning in. We're happy to have you as a listener. Please tune in for more episodes like this. Until then, hasta luego. Hearing Her Voice is brought to you by the Women's March San Diego at UCSD. The podcast is written and produced by Scarlett Lopez and Jin Ho Jung. Thank you, Assemblywoman Lorena Gonzalez, for taking your time to chat with us today. Our design director is Melissa Wang. Our creative director is Suri Insunza. And our technical director is Catherine Cordova. To learn more about Women's March San Diego at UCSD, please visit our website on Linktree. Subscribe to hear her voice on Anchor app or wherever you listen to the podcast. Thank you. If you know someone whom we should contact or want to be in our podcast, please email us at wmsducsandiego at gmail.com. To learn more about Women's March San Diego at UCSD, please visit our website on Linktree. Subscribe to hear her voice on Anchor app or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you.